We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Good morning. I'm going to tell you from the start that I will not be done at 9.30 or 10.30. I've gotten permission from the pastor to take all the time I need. And I don't ever want to be accused of being long-winded again. Because my wife has taught for three hours every time she's had ladies' Bible study. She claims it's because the women talk while she's teaching, but... Yeah. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, very, very familiar passage of Scripture. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way, that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. I'm continuing my series on being what God created us to be, but the subtitle of this lesson would be a, a dis disciplined disciple. Uh, I think we understand that there are boundaries when crossed, whether it's an individual or a nation, that there's always some force or power that arises to bring things back within those boundaries. Uh, either nations or an individual is disciplined from one of two perspectives. You're either disciplined from the without, some authority outside of you, or you're disciplined within, self-disciplined. Uh, there's no escaping that. You're going to have discipline one way or another in your life. I was pretty young when I came to the conclusion that I would rather discipline myself than have someone outside of myself discipline me. If you understand anything about history, especially the history of Israel, you understand that it's a microcosm of what God intends for us. God had a latitude, a, uh, a tolerance, if you will, of Israel's ability to stray from the truth and departure from the truth. But any time their departure led them into idolatry or to child sacrifice, then God always brought an outside authority into that nation and, and took them into captivity. It happened with Babylon. It happened with Persia. It happened with Greece, and it happened with Rome. And this is a historical template that we are to learn and, and uh, you know, that odious restraints are always imposed from the outside when you rebel against authority. Uh, you know, in my lifetime, Russia has always been a, a dictatorial entity, as has almost all the time of China. In my lifetime, Iran has become this rogue nation along with North Korea. But it will happen to them. There will come a time that God will impose an outside force into them, and it's going to happen in the United States of America as well. Because when a nation lacks discipline that breaches a certain level, other nations or God imposes upon them restraint from without. It happened to Germany. It happened to Italy. It happened to Japan. The lawlessness being allowed into our nation today has to be an affront to God. And it, it, it imposes on God, and it will ultimately cause a violent backlash from God against our nation and other nations of the world. In American history, there was a period in the West that was known as the lawless West, 
gunslingers, hired gunmen. A man essentially had to be a law unto himself. There were range wars going on, gold fever popping up in different western states, which would create a town growing up overnight, and the drinking and the lawlessness and the prostitution. Eventually, the citizens of the West demanded an imposition of the law. And over a period of a couple decades, law and order came to the West, always imposed from the outside. When you trace the march of history in the rise and fall of nations, it seems that any nation that laid its foundations in restraint always later fell into ruin through license. It happened to Greece. It happened to Babylon. It happened to Rome. It happened to Israel. It's happened to every nation. If it took a dictator an absolute despot. It just seems to me that God thought it a small price to pay to bring things back into some semblance of control and discipline. As I said, there's two main disciplines in the world. You're either disciplined without or you're disciplined within. It's inviolate. It happens to every individual. When discipline comes from without, it always imposes some foundation for some kind of dictatorial authority in your life. Discipline isn't only the secret of personal living. It is necessary for the survival of liberty in any individual or any nation. I will argue today as an individual and as a nation that we are, we are at a crossroads in our country, in the church, in our culture, in our society. That as a nation and individuals, that our future, my future, your future, our nation's future, will be determined by the level of our self-discipline. To the extent that one is unable to discipline themselves, emphatically, someone else will impose it upon you in some manner. It'll either happen by a boss or by government or by financial ruin or by health. You cannot violate certain things over a long period of time. God always, I've noticed this in ministry, I've seen people fall into great sin, and God always gives them a space to come under their own government themselves and correct themselves. But if they refuse to do it, God exposes them and brings the punishment against them. He does it through financial imposition. People who have no financial self-constraint or self-rule fall into Ruin and limited resources are imposed upon them. It happens in health, physically. It, help, it happens spiritually with God. Disease is an unforgiving dictator. It is unforgiving in its consequences that are imposed upon a human life who ignores certain norms of life and when you eat things beyond a place, I think uh, all of us at times eat things that would be better that we didn't eat. But when that becomes the habitual way that your diet forms, there are these limitations. Sexual license brings about STDs, about an unwanted child. Drugs, you become a slave to them. There's a time that you can do it recreationally, and it, it is a pleasure, and ultimately it becomes your dictator. There comes a point that you could quit if you would, and then there comes a point that you can't quit because you can't. Some disadvantaged groups blame the population for the plight of their life. 
But most of what is occurring in America is because of political leaders who have in, in allowed an environment to exist where there are no boundaries. <clears throat> we discussed it in the office this morning that it used to be discipline happened in the home. It also happened in the schools, and it also happened in the church. But we've come to a period of time that anarchy seems to run, run amok among us. We no longer seek control to control the lack of, of discipline that occurs in our culture, but now we are legalizing it. We are legalizing it. Our political leaders have allowed cities and neighborhoods and businesses to become looted, burned, and destroyed. When that same event happened in our capital, <coughs> thousands of troops were brought in to bring about order. Politicians, I think, were hoping for the events that happened in the capital, they were hoping that it would transpire so that they could use it against the present administration to give them reasons. But it also exposes the underbelly of our country because it dictates that politicians think they are far more important than the rest of the citizenry. As our culture, this nation was birthed by people who had virtues, who had values. There was a pioneering initiative that birthed our nation, <clears throat> excuse me, from small villages to the colonies to the states to the expansion into the West. We expanded democracy across this continent. And by example, we changed the governments of Europe without a war. It took people of self-discipline to build this nation. But as often happens, liberty placed in the hands of those who have no self-discipline within their lives. Look at what has happened in this pandemic. It has been the politicians. It has been the elite that go out and violate their own standards of, of, of what we should act in conduct to prevent the spread of, of this disease. The path of ruin becomes an inevitable destination when the ruling class of a nation begins to behave in ways that they try to place restraints on in the rest of the populace. Freedom within self-disciplined banks builds a great nation. It builds a great family. It builds a great society. It builds a great individual. But once out of its banks, like floodwaters out of the bank of a river, it becomes extremely devastating. When governors and law officials release violent, convicted felons, it's not out of compassion. There's a political agenda, and the agenda is to destroy the nation that has been so carefully built over these past two centuries. There is a despotic moment, movement and motive behind what's happening in America, and it's time that we woke, woke up and realized it. Abraham's prophecy concerning this nation is coming to pass. He said that there will never be an, an enemy that can step across the Atlantic take a drink out of the Ohio or place his footprint on the Alleghenies or on the Cascades. But if America falls, it will fall from within. It will fall from the violation and the corruption that happens on the inside. Deep within our nature, every human being, there are moods and attitudes that resist truth. It is in all of us. It is not unique to any of us but it is in all of us. We want what we want. We want it when we want it. We want it how we want it. And we don't want anyone to tell us that it is forbidden. Life, real life, rich life, the free life we want, however we resist the restraints 
that God has placed boundaries on that allow for the true liberty and freedom of human life to exist. Jesus said the unnarrow life, the life that doesn't have the discipline of boundaries, always leads to destruction. Always. Spiritually, morally, financially, governmentally, and health-wise, it always leads to destruction. Freedom can only exist on the foundation of loyalty. We must be loyal to something greater than ourselves for freedom to exist in our lives. What is the prerequisite for liberty and freedom? It's narrow. It's extremely narrow. Attention is a narrow focus. To concentrate on something is you eliminate everything outside of what you are concentrating on. To make a decision is decisive because to make this decision eliminates this option, this option, this option, and this option. You cannot decide something vaguely. You can't make a general value and have a decision made. It must be particular. A decisive life excludes things in its life. It defines this. It wills this, but it does not will that. The vague mind wanders a thousand roads to nowhere, but life stalls without the discipline to decide, to choose, to focus, and to love. Loyalty is always narrow, extremely narrow. Jesus taught very pragmatic principles. He didn't leave things loose or vague are undefined. We want options. We want a lot of options. We want all the options possible. We don't like something so defined. An unbridled horse takes you nowhere. Neither does an unbridled life. The explosion with an internal combustion engine occurs in a confined space at a very precise time, and it produces power to move. That same explosion outside of that confined space and outside of that specific moment in time is just dangerous noise and can be extremely destructive to the engine or worse, destruction. In the western United States, the Colorado River powers most of Southern California, a good part of Arizona, Utah, and Nevada, but not as a free river because the Colorado River is confined and made to flow across the Hoover Dam. Once it f flows across that confined space and in that de defined area, it has the power to produce enough electricity to light probably the most populous area in all of the United States. One of the widest gaps in human experience is the gap between what we want and what we're willing to discipline ourselves to have. The majority of people here today want to lose 20 pounds. I know I need to. This pandemic, I put on weight. All there is to do is sit at home, watch TV, and eat. Pray and read your Bible. Uh, desire is there, but why don't we? Why don't we lose the 20 pounds? We could. It's mainly because we lack the discipline. People who want to get past things, people who want mastery in their lives, I mean, all of us would love to have a doctoral degree in our discipline, We'd, we'd, we'd love that, but we don't want to have the discipline to commit the amount of time and the expense that it takes to do that. 
There are people who want mastery spiritually, vocationally, relationally, financially. Mostly leave inattentive, meandering, indecisive lives. We just can't seem to pull the trigger on what we really want because the path is extremely narrow. Does it appear to you that much of America lives in a fool's paradise? Uh, we broaden the definition of free speech. Now things are allowed to be said that in the former culture <coughs> was not acceptable coming out of human lips. But now, depending on <coughs> your particular perspective, free speech has, you know, it's really disappointing, this aspect of America, that it took over a hundred years for what was won in the Civil War to ever become a reality in America. In 1865, the Emancipation Proclamation was finally signed. Civil rights did not actually come until 1964, almost 100 years to the date. We broadened the definition of gender. Now you can, it's not what you're born with, it's what you want to choose. You can choose any gender you want to be. I grew up in a two-sex society. Is gender identity a modern thing? Not really. Deviant behavior began all the way back in Noah's age. Once there was an overwhelming majority of people who believed that the world was a two-sex society, and we now live in one where you can define your own because broad is the way and wide is the gate that leadeth to destruction, and many go therein thereat. The weakness of the majority is that the majority has rarely been right. The majority of the America I grew up in believed that rights were limited, limited by the determination by race. Were they right? Not even close. That's why our Constitution and our government is not a democracy. Democracy is the weakest form of government. We are a constitutional republic established on law that cannot, cannot be violated. And our representation is on democratic principles, but we're not a democracy. The change brought about by the sacrifice of the minority in the late 50s and the first half of the 60s, they paid an extremely high price to bring the freedoms won in the Civil War to the populace of America. But the price that they paid for freedom was well worth the cost. Nothing worth having can be had through the means other than through the means of self-discipline. The civil rights era of the 60s was a highly disciplined, nonviolent action. It cost them their lives. It cost many of them their freedoms. They were hunted down by the law enforcement of our nation both nationally and by state. They were killed. They were beaten. They were incarcerated. 
But because of their self-discipline, they won the battle. They didn't win it through license, but their protests were in a very defined and disciplined manner. The human resist, resents re, res, restraint and repression. Look at the garden. Adam and Eve only had one law they needed to obey. One. And they couldn't even live within that. What we want, when we want it, how we want it. We adamantly follow our passion. I've got a friend I play golf with that pastored for 42 years. He said he wrote a book. The title of the book was, I've determined that people will do whatever in the heck they want to do. It doesn't matter what you tell them. It doesn't matter how you teach them. They're going to do what in the heck they want to do. I've pretty much found out that to be the truth. It seems to me that as humanity, we love the forbidden fruit. If something is forbidden, it rises to the level of desire. I think we ought to switch the whole law process. We ought to outlaw the good, and everybody will want it. Yeah. Have you ever heard the statement, I want to be myself? Which self is that that do you want to be? Which one of your many selves is it that you want to be? We're all more than one self. There's an old saying that there is bad in the worst of us, and there's good in the best of us, or there's bad in the best of us, and good in the worst of us, that it behooves none of us to judge any of us. Then it goes something like that. All of us have bad in us. All of us have good in us. Which of those two do we want to be are under the multiple personalities? You say, I'm just one person. Have you ever had an internal conflict? <laughs> Who are you conflicted with? Yeah. Who? Of all the selves that we are capable of being, you have to discipline yourself at the one you want to be and make that your focus. Only God is of one mind and who can turn him. Reuben was considered by his father as unstable in all of his ways. Why? Because he said, thou art double-minded. If we are of one mind, why do we ever change our minds? Which mind will sit in the seat of government over who we want to be? Our self-disciplined self or our undisciplined self? We are either mastered by the one true God or we're mastered by some inferior God, but all of us are mastered by something. So we must choose one chosen self out of all the possible selves that we are capable of being. Every human being must have some hierarchy to their values, to their loves, to their interests, and to their wants. And to want some things mean you have to eliminate other things in your life. We must have some priority or else we lived in a confused state of never becoming somebody. And some people I've known live very confused lives. Some government in the will rises to govern who I become, either my disciplined self or my undisciplined self. A government will arise to impose some kind of consequence for when I choose my rulership. Not all the selves that I can be have the ability to direct my path toward mastery. If that path by default becomes extremely broad, 
Have you ever ever seen anything really of consequence be achieved out of a committee? The quickest way to kill something is just give it to a committee. In every sport, there is an umpire or referee in every sport. They enforce the boundaries in which the game has to be played. They impose the rules by which the game has to be played. Why are we more disciplined in the field of sports than we are in the field of life? How is it that for living, I don't think that I need any kind of umpire or boundaries or rules in which to live my life? How can I think that I can live outside the boundaries and I can operate outside of the rules and get away with it? Nobody ever has. No one ever will. If you live with a committee inside, anarchy rules in your life and none of them are in control. Until America returns to the place that whether you're independent, Democrat, or Republican, we all agree at what defines an American, we're going to live in this constant state of chaos. We have to decide what is an American and what isn't. And on that same note, until the church comes to an agreement, on what the church is and what it is not, what a Christian is and what a Christian is not, we are destined to ambiguity. We're destined to it. There is this principle of balance. Everything has to be in balance. I know people that in their senior years are just beginning to decide who and what they're going to be. And as sad as that may seem, at least they have arrived to a place to understand the necessity of self-discipline in their life. And they ought to be applauded for it. Some come early, some come late. But as long as they get there, it's imperative that we all get to the place that we do not need anybody outside of our lives. Jesus said, I'm going to take the law off the table of stones and I'm going to write it on the tablet of your heart. What he was saying is I'm going to take my government from outside, external of you, and I'm going to put it on the inside of you so that you're governed from within. From all the paths that Jesus might have taken, from all the possible messiahs that he might have been, he said, to this end was I born. For this cause came I to this hour. Of all the multiplicity of lives, he chose the self-disciplined life to become that self, that Messiah, that Jesus, that Savior, that God, and not another. He lived within the confines of his self-disciplined purpose. Proverbs said, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his own spirit than he that taketh a city. This is the blueprint of self-discipline. You do realize that David fought two battles that day in the Valley of Elah. When he first got into a, his, the camp, his brothers began to berate him. We know your naughtiness. You, we know you're here just because you're nosy and you want to know what's going on. If David had responded in anger toward them, he would have never conquered the giant. David had to win the battle within his own self against his brothers before he could ever stand on the battlefield. And here's the secret of Christianity. Until you win the battle inside of here, you'll never win the battle outside of you. You'll never do it. Everyone wants to do as they please. 
believe what they want to believe. This is the 21st century. We live in a different age. We live in a different society. We live in a different culture. I am so grateful. I feel so blessed that I was not raised in this generation because all the landmarks have been moved. All the norms have been scripted out. I remember a day when I went to school, if I got disciplined in school and got a whipping in school, I knew I was going to have to take a note home, and I knew the teacher was going to call my parent when I got home, and I was going to get another whipping when I got home. My parents never, never sided with me. Never. Never. You didn't, you didn't take a kid's word against an adult's word. Was I unjustly punished sometimes? Sure I was. And so were you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe 1%. <laughs> the property lines of morality, of social mores, have all been moved. And in the principle of narrow and broad, I find this inalienable truth. There's a million ways to mess up your life, but there's only one way to get it right. Now, how narrow is that? No person in their right mind would ever mount a spirit spirited horse, even with a saddle, with spurs but no bridle, because when you put those spurs in his flanks, he's going to move, but without a bridle, you have no control over where he's going to move. It'll be a wild ride where no doubt you'll end up very injured. Isn't life far more consequential than riding a horse? And life is far more dangerous than an unbridled horse. My advice to every young person that I can influence, before you spur life forward into adulthood, you better have a firm handle on the bridles of self-discipline. If all your discipline, by the time you're a teenager, your parents should have to impose a very limited amount of discipline on you in your life. You're in an age when you know better. It always reminds me of the farmer Salesman come by trying to sell him a 35-volume set on how to farm better. And he said, I'm not interested. He said, sir, I can look at your farm and tell that you could farm better. He said, hey, I know that. I know how to farm better than I, than I do. But I don't need your books to know that. Most of us know better than what we do. That's the problem with this nation. It's the problem with Christianity today. It's the problem within families and individuals. We've lost the quality of self-discipline. They say that, I don't know this to be true, but they say that if a person has ever developed say, alcoholism, that if they recover from alcohol and they start to smoke, that they'll eventually go back to their drug of choice. They'll go back to alcohol. No one is ever truly free until they've been mastered by something. It was a chilling day when I woke up 
and realized the world was not all about me. And I went to church and found out it wasn't about me there either. That it was always about something far bigger than me. We want to be our own masters. We want freedom without restraint. But never forget this proverb from Jesus Christ. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Until we embrace truth, absolute, logos, forever settled word truth, the human heart is desperately wicked in all of its ways, and who can know it? Your heart is, my heart is, everybody's heart is desperately wicked in all of its ways. That's why David said, God, try my heart. He understood what Jeremiah said, that the heart is desperately wicked, no man can know it. So he said, try me, know me. You become the government. You tell me about myself. I always look better in the mirror than I do in a photograph. Because my brain has a way of translating what I see in the mirror. But the reality of it comes to me in a photograph. Without restraint of truth, there is no freedom. Do you realize the only thing that God never placed a limitation on was the fruit of the Spirit? He said against such, there's no law. You don't need to pass a law. I can have all the joy, all the peace, all the long-suffering, all the gentleness, all the goodness, all the kindness, all the temperance. He said against these things, I don't need to enact a law. The roots of self-discipline are not intellectual. They're spiritual. It's faith in the means and ends that is worth disciplining myself to. Faith in values that's worthy of me dedicating myself to them. You have to realize that in your life you have dedicated yourself to things that are beneath who you are. You have to realize that someplace in your life you've given government over to things that are not worthy to be your government. When you lose faith in something that there is bigger than you are, you're lost no matter what. The individual's lost and the nation is lost. And that's where our nation is going wrong is in their abandoning of the principles of the document of the Constitution. When I govern myself well enough from the inside, only then will I know the absolute freedom of having no restraint or no limitation from the outside. A few years ago, there was all this discussion about arming the police with military weaponry, automatic rifles, with hollow point bullets, and all this other kind of stuff. I made the statement in, I made it now. I could care less if a cop carried a bazooka. I don't care. I don't intend to ever get so far outside the law that they need it. You know, the only law I break habitually is every time, once in a while I speed. I've never heard anybody being killed over a speeding ticket. When I govern myself well enough from the inside, I have no fear and no worries about any government on the outside of my life. The goal of every pastor, the desire of every parent, 
is to raise people who are aware enough and smart enough and have sense enough to learn how to govern themselves. No pastor ever enjoys having to place limitations on any person they pastor. You have one Lord. You have one God. I'm not it. I don't want to be it. I want to teach you the truth and put it so deep in your heart that if I go bad, you'll never go bad with me. If as a nation or an individual, after the promising start that we have as a nation and the richness of the opportunities that have been afforded us, if we prostitute it and send it away out of lawlessness, there's no mercy that we deserve. Paul said in Corinthians, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I come from a group that had dancing fits over that scripture, totally missing the implication of it. What the scripture actually says, where the spirit of lordship is, where he is recognized as Lord, you have unrestrained liberty. The problem for every Christian that has ever called themselves a Christian has been the answer to this question, who's king? Who's king? Is God king? Are you king? Or is something else outside of God are you king? For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistles of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on the tables of stone, but on the fleshly tables of your heart. You see, in the Old Testament, all the law was external. And in the New Testament, all the law is to be internal. Jesus and Paul both spoke against the Pharisees and their enslaving scruples of do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts, and all the ancient codes. There are some things that we will never be free from. Free freedom and free living isn't freedom from the laws of living. Totally free thinking is a myth. Total unrestrained freedom is a myth. Mark Twain spent the last years of his life traveling the world trying to pay off the debts of his life. He was told by a friend, there's laws that you, could, that you can escape your misfortune. Setbacks that were not your fault that you didn't plan. He said, you can just file bankruptcy. This was his answer. Honor is harder to escape than law. He was mastered by something within greater than what was outside of himself. Unless there is an internal compass within yourself to steer by, you'll get lost in life. Every aircraft, even the modern aircraft with the digital cockpit, where all things are displayed there for the pilot, he still has this little instrument on the side that's operated simply by gravity. And it tells him whether a wing is down, a wing is up, a nose is up, or a nose is down. Sometimes, there's a time I was in an instrument flight, I lost all my instruments. I had only that to fly by in my compass. You have to have some things in your life that are beyond failure. Unless Jesus Christ becomes the organizing center of your life. 
unless he becomes the compass of your life, you can be baptized according to Acts. You can talk in tongues till you're blue in the face. You can be obedient to the doctrines, but you're not a Christian. If the beauty of spring ends in the barrenness of autumn, the reason won't be a lack of the laws of outward regulation, but it will be because as a nation, as an individual, or as a church, we lack the ability to discipline ourselves. It's the most important quality. I just have this increasing question, especially since this pandemic. If the government shut down the church, closed it up, and by armed guard forbid, forbade any of us to ever, ever gather and worship again. Within six months, how many would still be serving God? Within a year, within two years, within three years, within five years. How many of us would still be serving God? How much of this is on the inside? And how much of it is the consensus that we share together? I pray that truth has been put so deep inside of you that though the world be shaken and the mountains be removed from their place, you have what it takes to stand. Amen. Lord bless you. Thank you for your attention. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.